The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. You can also find Dr. Scarlett through her website, which is www.superhero-therapy.com or on her Twitter, which is at Shadow Quill. We just returned from San Diego Comic-Con, where we had an amazing time catching up with family, friends, and basically enjoying all the geeky splendor abound there. This is a very special episode, which will consist of our coverage of Dr. Janina Scarlett's Psychology of Cult TV panel that was recorded on Thursday, July 19th, 2018 at 8 o'clock p.m. So sit back and enjoy the Psychology of Cult TV. How's everyone doing? Right on. You guys having a good con? Yeah. Are you guys psyched to be here? That's the panel. Have a good night. Yeah. Over. <laughs> We've got about one more minute till people start filtering in, but we'll go ahead and start with introductions. How do you guys like that? That's what I'm talking about. I have a question. Has anyone seen anyone cosplay Peter from Deadpool 2? Yes. Okay. How did you know that's what he was doing, though? <laughs> the goggles. Okay. This has been in my head. I was like, how would I know it? Somebody's going to cosplay him, and I won't know it. Okay. Sorry. This has been in my head. This is good. That's mental health. That's mental health. <laughs> mental health. Get your questions answered. So let's go ahead and start with introductions. I'll start with myself, and then we'll go down the row, and our wonderful, our wonderful panelists will introduce themselves. Um, my name is Dr. Billy San Juan. I am a mental health clinician, doctor of psychology, a professor at Argosy University. I'm a writer, but most importantly, I have just reached at Comic-Con level 30 on Pokemon Go. Team Mystic forever. And <laughs> down the road. I, I can't beat that. Um, I'm Rachel Miner. I, uh, I've been an actress and uh, an executive director of Frandomax. Hi, I'm Ruth Connor, and I'm, I'm very concerned about this warning in front of me about being aware that there are members of your audience under 18 years of age. <laughs> I apologize in advance. We can swear, right? We're gonna swear. We're gonna swear. Just my name that says that. Hi everyone, I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Thank you. Yay. I specialize in incorporating pop culture into therapy to help people with post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depressive disorders. 
Uh, I'm Greg Weissman. I am the creator of Gargoyles, the producer of Young Justice and the Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, I'm Travis Langley, and I like Mountain Dew. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm talking like Damn. Damn. I am. Got Dr. Travis. dollar endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Someday they're going to give me something for one of my tweets. I'm, I'm, I'm buying time to make sure Derek can get up here. He's I, fine. I am Dr. Travis Langley, professor of psychology at Superheroologist on Twitter. Uh, best known as the author of the book Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, with a K. I'm the editor and writer, lead nerd of the herd, on a series of popular culture psychology books, uh, looking at topics such as Star Wars, most recently, Daredevil Psychology, The Devil You Know. I have to read that. And right before that, Supernatural Psychology, Roads Less Traveled. Oh, hi, I'm Christine Boylan. I'm a TV writer. I write some other things as well. Um, I have most recently worked on Punisher for Marvel Netflix. And, um, oh, thank you. And uh, currently uh, on the Cloak and Dagger, which is airing on Freeform and on Freeform apps, and I guess Hulu as well. Uh, yay! <laughs> and we did a little, we did an episode tonight, so I'm wearing my little jacket. That's Derek. Oh, I'm sorry. That's you, Derek. Hi, sorry I'm late. I was literally cooking a steak over <laughs> in the gas lamp, and I looked at the time, and I was like, I need something to cook fast. Give me something fast that I can cook, and they gave it to me, and they... And I don't know if it's cooked or not, and also, I don't have any utensils, so I'll be eating like a savage up here, if you don't mind that. Uh, my name is Derek Hughes. I'm a writer as well for television. Uh, currently, I am writing on a show called Arrow, CW. And before that, I was a writer on another show called Scream, which unfortunately will never see the light of day, but it doesn't hold another story. Um, and uh, The Flash, Warehouse 13, Beauty and the Beast, etc., etc., etc. And we've got some pretty geeky people up here. How many people out there are pretty geeky? <laughs> it is Comic-Con. Any fans of shows such as Gargoyles or Young Justice? Yes! Or Punisher? What? Jessica Jones, huh? Cloak and Dagger? Supernatural? Or yeah. All right, what a crowd. So let's start off with a general question for the panel. The psychology of these shows. Why is it important? Why have this discussion after all? Why is it relevant? Can we start it, Ian? I mean, shows in general, specifically the kind of cult shows we're talking about? Yes. Okay, I tell people all the time, if you ask why did that person do that, you're asking a psychological question. And with these shows, the, these characters, their human qualities are what appeal to us. We stay with them as characters. Shows that you follow for the story, especially the episodic story, like Law and Order, you don't see the same kind of fan base for Law and Order that you do for so many of the things that we're talking about today, Doctor Who, Supernatural, and, and so on. It's that importance of the ongoing sense of character and the sense of the character. And if the writers aren't getting the humanity of those characters right, we don't buy the, any of the fantastic things they're going through. That's why with speculative fiction, you know, fantasy and science fiction, and a lot of what we talk about as cult TV falls under that, 
The humanity has to be even truer because of those incredible situations that they're in. I think in our, sorry, in our day-to-day life, I think most people have a really difficult time talking about the truth because the truth hurts. So we hide behind socially accepted expressions like, hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? I don't know about you guys, but I'm never fine. <laughs> I'm always worried about the next thing and pleasing the next person and all the kinds of things that I have to do the next day. And I think that fiction allows us to have a mirror into reality, the kind of problems that we don't dare talk about or don't dare think about. Because when we're watching shows like Supernatural or The Gargoyles, we're presented with the kind of prejudice that maybe we're not ready to think about or talk about. We're presented with certain mental health disorders that maybe we're too afraid to let somebody know that we're struggling with. And yet, as, we are, as we're able to see these kind of representations of ourselves or maybe some of the things that we're seeing in society, it might make it easier for us to address these issues, to talk about them. Um, I, I specialize in helping people with post-traumatic stress disorder, and I can't tell you how many people, after experiencing something extremely violent like sexual assault, have a really difficult time relating to other people. But if they see something on, whether it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, on The Punisher, or on Supernatural, it's a lot easier for people to then express, that happened to me, and I'm still struggling, but there is hope, and now I know how to recover from this. I'm not a psychologist, but my understanding is that the human mind loves metaphor. We don't like to be told uh, solutions to things, but to, to find our own, own way of seeing. And I think with the extra stage that you have with Cult TV, it allows the brain to, to discover for itself. So I think it's really powerful. Most of the TV writers I've ever talked to about this haven't stu- studied psychology formally, but they've got a good sense of people. I'm sorry, it's definitely somebody over there. Oh, okay. Okay, but the, because they have the good sense of people, they therefore are intuitively able to pull in the things that we can talk about, the things you all can resonate, we can resonate with as fans and viewers, and the, those of us who are analyzing it psychologically, it's just so rich what we get to talk about because of that. Well, it's because we're also not okay. <laughs> we're so not okay, and everybody here who knows me personally knows I'm not okay, but like, but you, you know, the idea of like using it, and like Ruth and I have had these conversations about like acting and, and writing and how they're similar and, and different, but you know, using the thing that's troubling you, and sometimes you use it, like we, uh, I had an episode of Cloak and Dagger air, that's airing tonight, and we, just, we watched it at five. Oh yeah, thanks, okay. Some brutal, some brutal stuff happens in it. We watched it at five o'clock, we watched the East Coast feed, and I'm watching it with the actors and the, the other writers, and certain things occurred to me about like my past, and I thought, oh God, that's why that's in there? Oh no. <laughs> And it really was, like, I had a moment of, like, oh, God, that's what that's about, that my therapist will hear about next week, you know? Like, stuff comes up, you put it out there, and then it's reflected back at you, and sometimes the only way I can process stuff is when I see it reflected back at me. If I watch other people's work through their metaphors, sometimes I can get closer to, like, what, like, I will come to my therapist and send her episodes of TV shows and be like, okay, watch, like, minute 25 to minute 75, you don't need to know like the rest of what's going on, but what that guy's struggling with, that metaphor is exactly what I was feeling for the 
two weeks. So when I walk in, we can just like start from go. So yeah, metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. When uh, you know, when the Flash was fighting Solovar in an arena full of gorillas, I was <laughs> I was really channeling something so, like, there. What are those, yes. what are those gorillas, man? I don't know. They are, they? They are some demons. <laughs> there's there's so many amazing points up here. So um, rather than going over some of the same truths you talked about, also I'll bring it into current events, which is I think what's going on in the world right now is uh, we're all terrified because we're used to following these certain rules and kind of getting on the treadmill and pretending everything's normal and going about our day and as you said, saying, saying hello and I'm fine. And uh, it is very important that we have these opportunities to break free kind of mentally and realize that there are other ways of seeing existence. There are other ways of filtering all these feelings and emotions and information. And I think that uh, any kind of fantasy type genre is very helpful for that and it reminds us that we are creating this world mm -hmm. and that it doesn't need to conform, conform to the standard set of rules that we're raised with. Also, so, so also it's fun. Yes. Yay. <laughs> right? So we do have a question um, related to mental health for Christina and Derek as well as open to the rest of the panelists. Damn it. <laughs> when it comes to uh, mental health issues like PTSD or gorillas in an arena disorder. <laughs> Page 351 of the DSM. <laughs> Every single person who laughed knew what the DSM was. <laughs> so good. For TR old school. So these, the portrayal and the character reactions are so genuine. What kind of research goes into that? Google is our friend. <laughs> Wikipedia is our friend. Uh, you know, it's like every time you, whenever you go to Wikipedia, it's like, you know, we're running out of money, but if you donate, donate. <laughs> donate. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's, um, I think uh, it's, it depends on the story. I mean, for I'll, I'll let Christine go because since she, Punisher is a great example. Um, also, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, that, everything. Everything that Derek just said. Google um, is your friend. I, this is a weird one. I'm a huge fan of the uh, TV tropes. Um, yeah, you guys know yeah. that website? Mm -hmm. uh, writers use that more than you think because because they they do. I don't know who, who mobs it. Whoever they are, they're brilliant because they collect. Um, you know, comics are included, stage plays are included, uh, sort of, so you can kind of look at other things that are in, in that genre and see what other people have done. So all of that is like basic research, right? And then um, on the show, if you can in your budget, you know, you can get an expert or two or seven to come in <laughs> and talk with you. On Punisher, we had people who worked in national intelligence come to talk with us. We see us, uh, CIA and NSA people come to talk to us about what their day-to-day -day jobs are. Um, we have a lot of people who work with veterans and what, why did they get into that line of work and what toll does it take on them? Uh, veterans who work with other veterans. Okay, well, why did you choose to, when you 
got out of the service to help other people? In what capacity do you do it? What do you? What are the problems that come up? And so much story comes out of that um, research, and everyone is so. You know, people want to talk about their jobs and their lives. And, and even if you're just writing something on spec or like if I'm writing a play or a, a movie that nobody knows about and there's no budget, I can call someone, you know, and say, hey, do you mind talking to me about your job and what your life in the, in the ER is like or what your, what your life in this sort of like intake in the psych ward is on a Saturday night in the middle of July, you know, what is that? Um, they're happy to talk to you. People want to to share. So one-on-one -on -one research, I would say, is like your your second, third, and fourth step. Um, and if everybody's cool and you know, with, then you grow the stories out of that. And whatever works for your characters works for your characters. Although I have to say that I did try to get a gorilla expert, but <laughs> they they told me point blank. They said gorillas aren't telepathic. I can't do anything to help you with this one. So we are going to figure out what the gorillas are metaphors yeah. for by the end of this. <laughs> but I'm also on a uh, board for it's called the Science and Entertainment Exchange. Oh my God, the best! And what's really great about that is they they actually pair writers up with scientists and people in all different fields, including psychology, and um, and and really to get the science right. Now, of course, you know we have to have some allowances. Again, telepathic gorillas, um, but um, it, you know, and, or, or time travel. As <laughs> one person said, time travel is not real. It's like, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> What are you hiding? Uh, um, but th there are resources, and that's the great thing in this day and age. There are so many different resources that a writer should be able to tap into, and there should be no excuse for a writer to not tap into something and to at least you know, make a, an effort to, to address something. S science and Entertainment Exchange? Yes. yes. Fast. I'm making myself a note. I want to. Oh, we're gonna we'll make an introduction. And speaking you. of the uh, the research that goes into the mental health, as we know, mental health can also include social factors, things that affect someone like diversity. Now, one of the best cartoons, in my opinion, that tackles things like diversity and things that an acceptance in the modern world was Gargoyles. Yes. Greg, do you mind explaining a little bit about your writing process for that show? Stone by day. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Uh, uh, diversity's always sort of been a priority for me um, in my sort of stumbling way, uh, my own path toward enlightenment. Um, I've been trying to put that into shows uh, from the beginning. Um, I think, honestly, the main reason for that is because it's so boring not to. It has a lot more, or it originated at least with a lot more about entertainment value than, um, than enlightenment or, or anything else. It's just, there's so many stories out there that have been told already over and over and over again. I don't need to see the upteenth version of white heterosexual, male, whatever, even though that's, mm -hmm. even though that includes me. Um, I'd rather, you know, have a more diverse uh, cast of characters and a more diverse cast of actors playing those characters and, um, and tell stories that feel fresher to me because 
there's been a lack of attention to it. So a lot of it doesn't come so much from a place of, you know, good-heartedness as it does from a place of, of uh, almost pragmatism. That uh, I feel like it's a big world out there. There are a lot of interesting stories uh, that aren't getting told. And so, uh, again, in my own clumsy way, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, but that is good-hearted. I mean, that's, I wouldn't say you're so short. I mean, it's like, yes, it's pragmatic, but it's also good-hearted because you are making that effort that so many people would not make. Yeah, so, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm all for praising yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just, but honestly, but that's where it originated from. It was sure. this idea of, um, okay, yeah, the gargoyles have this friend. And uh, the friend could be a 14-year-old, white boy, mm -hmm. but I've seen that before. It could be, you know, the white girl reporter. I've seen that before, too. So in creating the character of Elisa Maza, um, we were just trying to get a different voice in there. Mm -hmm. And then we uh, cast Sally Richardson. It's fantastic. Uh, who's amazing to play Elisa. And uh, Sally's background is that she's part African-American and part Native American and we thought, oh, well, that's interesting. So let's give her a Native American father and uh, African-American mother. And that brought in stories for us, again, in a very pragmatic way, stories uh, out of African mythology because we made the mom... Uh, Michelle uh, Nichols. Uh, we made her a Columbia uh, professor of African-American yeah. studies. And so it brought in a Nazi, the spider. Yeah, that was great. And the father. Uh, it's a Thunderbird, right? No, no, no. I mean the oh, mythology. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Father's god hero. And that allowed us to bring in all these different uh, cultures as we did this sort of world tour in season two, and. Again, the great benefit to that is that um, again, is season one we had to make 13 episodes in uh, 10 months. Wow. Season two we had to make 52 episodes in 10 months. <laughs> oh my god. And so <laughs> immediately when you get that order, you're like, hey, we're back for season two. That's the good news. Bad news is we need a lot of stories. And um, so one of the things that we did, again, from a very pragmatic standpoint, is let's take a bunch of our characters and put them on a magical boat and send them all around the world. And we'll do Norse mythology and we'll do Greek mythology. Those are great. But I've seen it all before. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen much with... Anansi the Spider, and I haven't seen much with Thunderbird, and I haven't seen much with Coyote uh, or the Tengu in Japan. Right. Um, and this allowed us to really open up the world in a big way, and that in turn, is, as the other series I've done going forward, um, you begin to see the huge benefit you get from that, both from the standpoint of storytelling, but then, yes, this is where, yeah, you can praise me some more, but um, where you also see the response from fans. And the way that you've opened things up and included people uh, and depictions of characters that you didn't often see in cartoons in the 90s mm -hmm. or in the early 2000s, um, that started 
particularly as this thing called the internet started out. I'm so old. <laughs> I did all this stuff initially before there was an internet. Uh, and, but, and now that we have this sort of instantaneous love-hate relationship with the internet, mostly hate, but, uh, but you get all this fan response and, and what you get at a convention or, or online or whatever is you begin to see how by opening this stuff up you're including so many more people in, in a meaningful way. Um, both in terms of the people you hire to do the work and the characters you depict on screen. Um, and that means something to me. And so that work be that again began as a very, from a very pragmatic place um, starts to open up my eyes to what maybe I should be doing um, anyway. And uh, so we, we build on that and so when I'm developing Spectacular Spider-Man and I'm looking at you know, 45 plus years of Spider-Man continuity and a show set in Manhattan, I'm like going, okay, this is the biggest, most diverse city in the world. Why is everyone except Robbie Robertson white? <laughs> um, we can change that, so we did. And that's continued through in how we've done uh, every series I've worked on, from which to Young Justice to Star Wars Rebels, etc. I was just going through, and even your pragmatic uh, approach presupposes something which I believe in, which is the world and us as individuals is so much richer and bigger the more uh, we have them to entertain conceptually, the more diversity there is. Uh, some people look at a starry sky and feel very small. Some people, look for me, I've always, I looked at a starry sky and I feel very big mm -hmm. because you, you can now comprehend the vastness that is uh, in you know that is our universe, but the same is true, I think, with in diversity. We ourselves are richer and and bigger, and and it is a more interesting story if there is uh, more inclusion. Yeah. But not everyone uh, comes from that assumption. So that's yeah, I mean, and another thing that's gotten nerve wracking also as time has progressed is I'm also now worried about things that I never used to be worried about, like mm -hmm. cultural appropriation. Um, so I wrote a, a series of novels, uh, Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Ash and Foam, and um, this, these were uh, sort of supernatural novel, not, not supernatural. <laughs> Lowercase s. Lowercase s. Uh, uh, set on a chain of Caribbean islands, and, um, and initially it was just like, okay, that's an interesting setting. Um, and then as I began to research uh, the Taino uh, mythology, I was sitting there going, wow, these are great stories. Um, and, I've, and we've seen upteen times, you know, Greek mythology or Norse mythology adapted into pop culture. And I'd never seen these stories adapted into pop culture. So I thought, this is a wealth of material. And I, so I went for it. But there's a, also a piece of my brain saying, hey, white guy, um, why are you writing these books? And I have that piece in me, too, which is really weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you mentioned mythology, and that would like I would like to use that because there's also a show that we'd like to talk about that has a vast mythology within its own universe, Supernatural. <laughs> Where the characters struggle with demons, sometimes they're internal. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they are the demons. By the way, by the way uh, demons are really cool. If you, you were talking about the research. If you want to shadow a demon, they're very good about it. So. <laughs> Spoken from experience? I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. So, Ruth, Rachel, what is it about Supernatural? The things that the characters experience and go through, what is it about those things that speak to us as fans? So, so I cheated and uh, I asked the fans. <laughs> uh, we were at a supernatural convention last weekend in Chicago. And at my meet and greet, I had 10 people. And I asked them, I explained I'm doing this panel, and I needed them to do my homework uh, for me. So they were very obliging. And really what I heard, which is not necessarily what they said, but what I heard was how much they love the boys and this, the relationship between the boys and this idea of family doesn't end in blood. The fact that you can make your family from the people that are around, around you. And each person, um, each person in the meet and greet had a story whereby one girl had suffered from PTSD and there's an episode where Dean uh, has it recurringly and that had really helped her feel less of a weirdo. That was, that was not her word. That's my word. Uh, it's a Scottish word. Sorry. <laughs> Do you use it too? You know what I mean. Uh, another lady had, um, had, had felt better about coming out uh, because of the Charlie Bradbury character, our beloved Felicia Day. And so to actually hear these stories, these real personal stories, it, 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 was, it was incredible um, to me. And at our fan conventions, they're, they're very much, much as a forum for discussing mental health issues, um, partly because of Jared speaking out, but also that you know it is, it is part of our fandom. And um, so much so that we now have professional counsellors at the conventions, which I will like, let Rachel talk about because her charity funds the, um, the training oh. of these counsellors who are there so it's amazing to me that this comes full circle that it's, that it's tangible so I don't, yeah, so does that, does that answer the question? A little Absolutely. Bit? Well does it answer the question you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Ruth, Ruth is going to make me cry because you just your caring is so amazing um, okay so no, but also just to Say, Randomx does fund the I'm Alive um, trainees, uh, and that's something that's been very special. It's also how I met Janina, um, working on crisis support uh, with her. So it is a really special part of the extended supernatural world, which is our family, which is uh, the fandom, whatever you, you want to call it, that goes far beyond the show itself. Um, but uh, in terms of the show, I'll, I'll selfishly just say my two cents and my, my feeling, which is one of the things uh, that speaks to me personally and I feel like is very universal, is the fact that there's no character that is ever 
good or bad, black and white, everyone kind of lives in the gray and is trying to figure their way through and is muddling through in each episode and defining who they are, not based on whether they're a demon, because I, I play a demon who, who turned good, or, you know, they, you can, there are angels who are bad. There are, yeah. Or Rowena, who's clearly really nice. Totally <laughs> 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 <Personally> misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's exactly right. No, but 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 that's what I love is there's there is it's about the fact that we define ourselves oh. and we aren't defined by the world and I think that that's a universal uh, thing theme within the show. Wow, and we saw that with, we've seen that with both of your characters. Now uh, it's like you're, you're the bad girls. Are you simply allying yourself with these? And each of you in the energy setting, you're defining yourselves. Yes. You're not letting your circumstances or whatever turn you into demon and, and your experience, those other witches you didn't like. Uh, and that, that is what they find empowering about your characters. And I mean, she has stayed with us longer than you did. Yes. Uh, Rub it in. We still <laughs> We want you to come back. No. I would, well, so there's an alternate universe. And I've, how, how amazing would it be if Meg yes. 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 after all we saw Charlie come back <laughs> what, uh, what I will also say um, is the, the writers in our show and I've been lucky because I have had time on the show and depending on the way that I a choice that I make. The writers, our dear friend Bob Berens, who we're just we're so sad he's not here. Uh, we just uh, sent him a selfie. The, the, <laughs> we sent him a sort of angry, sad selfie. Mm -hmm. Like we're sort of angry. It's really cute. We'll post it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, they, they take, they, they take, and they they take what you you offer, and they they they, they add those things to the character, and that because people are, people are not one-dimensional. There is, as you're saying, good and bad, and, and, and the in-between where you're not sure. Yeah. You're not really sure what you're, you know, you have three motivations. One's good, one's bad, and one's just so-so. And that's so why, I feel, but uh, choice by choice, they're defining themselves. And you see that with the, with the boys as well, with the, with the main characters. It's never just an easy, oh, we're, we're the heroes, and therefore we're going to run into this and, and do the right thing. They make mistakes, and they're figuring it out as well. And I think that that's one of the most important through lines. Um, that, and there is this idea that we can be loyal and, and, and just do the right thing despite how difficult it is. And again, it's, like, it's not sugar-coated. It's not that everything is so easy, um, and they're not born with superpowers or whatever. We're, just, we're all figuring it out. So. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like things aren't easy? <laughs> yeah. How many of you would like to hear how the psychologists on the panel view things that make life not easy oh. and how popular culture can help us get through those things? Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask them a question? How many of you have been to one of these panels that we've done before? Oh, yes, repeat. Okay, but most of them have it so we can use our jokes again. Okay. <laughs> he well, used that, he used that before, by the way. <laughs> 
So Dr. Travis Langley, you are the author and editor for a series of books called the Psych Geeks Line. That's what we call it. It's actually the Popular Culture Psychology Series. But we call it the Psych Geeks book. I never knew that, and I'm into them. <laughs> I just had a moment. Um, where we explore TV shows and movies and popular culture topics like Supernatural. Doctor Who, Daredevil, Westworld, other things. And Dr. Janina Scarlett, you are a clinician who, can, who saves lives by helping people manage symptoms of PTSD, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. So I asked, I asked to both of you, but I'll also open so up you, to the do panel. You like prescribe shows for people? <laughs> I do, actually. Uh, yes. I do. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and well, I'm not a clinician. I'm a psychology professor. But I, like I said, I'm, I'm the, the nerd who hurt, who hurts our own hurt. Uh, I, I know Janina and a number of other clinicians who use these things, and they will have specific shows. Although I, a number of you say it's like you often find it more interesting to find out what the client is interested in. So you can take an interest in them, and that starts off with your connection. I'm speaking for you, I guess. But uh, Pat Patrick O'Connor, who will prescribe specific comic book issues, uh -huh. and Mara Wood, uh, who co-edited Wonder Woman Psychology with me, and is somewhere here in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, she will you know, go over specific comic book pages with uh, in youth that she's working with to talk about what's going on with that character. So there is the prescription. Uh, don't prescribe a big, long novel or you know, something you're not sure they'll stick with. It's like, show what's appealing to them so you can learn about it with them. Every couple of pages, we'll tape a Xanax to that page. <laughs> So that. So, so that, that's how we write them. That's it. <laughs> so what is it about these shows that can speak to individuals in the therapy room or in the classroom? Both of you are professors as well. No, you're good. Um, I, um, I work more in the clinical field than in the classroom, and I find that when people have been through something extremely traumatic, they often don't have the words to talk about what they've been through. And they often also lack trust that other people might understand what they're experiencing also. Uh, most of my experience had been working with, uh, with military populations, so with active duty service members, although recently I've transitioned to the civilian sector, so I also work with survivors of sexual assault and other traumatic experiences. And I can't even tell you how many uh, now veterans that I've been working with have told me that they really connect with the Punisher. And by the way, Christine, one of my patients asked me to tell you, thank you, you got it right. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Very sweet. It's absolutely incredible to see somebody who may not be able to describe what happened to them, but may name an episode, might pull out their phone and show me a YouTube clip of a, of a particular show and, and say, that's what I'm feeling, that is what I'm going through. And the amount of people that have been helped that way is innumerable, and I'm so very grateful to have, um, to have this incredible panel here because here we have the representation of 
some of the top most mentioned shows that I talk about in therapy that have been absolutely monumental in helping people recover. So thank you, all of you, for everything that you're doing. But on the teaching side, well, we, we all teach through example, metaphors, similes, uh, parables, stories, myth, myths throughout history have been used to teach something else. Uh, inventions are made because of uh, comparisons through story, but story can sidestep your predispositions, I use this phrase, the filter of fiction, to take a step away, and you can sometimes look at a harder, you take a harder look at the real issues. Star Trek addressed things on TV that nobody else on TV was doing at the time. And I really got to appreciating the power of this. Uh, the same year I came to San Diego Comic Con for the first time, and I, th I think that's part of all what came together to make me do the stuff I'm doing now. Uh, I was teaching a psychology and literature course after another professor retired. Students come in, okay, you'll, you'll read these things and, and they, they, they found to their own surprise while talking about Hamlet and Ahab or Batman the Killing Joke that they learned more about real psychology and therefore real human nature than even they'd expect. I found this was a powerful tool for, we're, we're having fun looking at these characters, but we're also through those characters looking at real human nature. And so every spring I do some media related class. Uh, science fiction, uh, the, the psych of the living dead, uh, twice a class called Batman, and I'm fortunate I'm at a university where I don't have to disguise it as the psychology of nocturnal vigilantism. Only <laughs> students with the word Batman on their transcripts are in that room. Uh, examples are, are meaningful and they can help you step away. You can look at, you, you, you can talk to a client about Veronica Mars, uh, and this is, again, telling Janina's story. Uh, but you're, you're, you, when you do that, you are getting into things that are meaningful to her. And I, and I tell lots of people, not just, usually not when you're in the room, but I tell a lot of people your Veronica Mars story about your client connect, connecting with her uh, through that. We're not going to actually tell the story. <laughs> We're just going to tease you guys with it. They connected through Veronica Mars. She tells it better, though. There you go. <laughs> I was just going to add in that there's such, there really is such a limited set of archetypes that we're given by which to understand ourselves just within the world. And that is how we kind of function as humans, is what we see other people doing. And I really realized this when I started dealing with a disability and I didn't fit any traditional like categories or characters that I had been given. And I had to learn to define it for myself. And it is very helpful to have examples that maybe don't look like the reality we see every day because they at least let you start jumping to places outside of that set criteria that you don't fit into. And so, um, so I often feel more understood personally as a human by, by characters or storylines that are very much outside of the normal reality. And I think that a lot of people experience that. Well, we have quite a few more questions. We could be here all night. I'm sure you guys could as well. Okay. Someone says, okay. <laughs> Open the box. But we want to make... Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be rude, but my steak is getting cold. <laughs>
<laughs> I think we can get some like liquor to go with this. Like, we'll just split it up. All right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about steak. So it smells I'm really. Good. It smells so good. Like it's amazing. <laughs> They're really good. So speaking of steak, which is filling, much like our panelists have filled your mind. <laughs> He's good. With inspiration. <laughs> Where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? <laughs> we want to make sure that you guys have a chance to ask our panelists a question as yes. well. Please make your way to the microphones. Try not to beat each other up on the way there. <laughs> Super eager. If we don't get to any of your questions because of time, you're more than welcome to talk to us afterwards, except for Derek, who will be eating his steak. <laughs> I mean, you can listen. Yeah. Who are you? I don't know. Medium well. Medium well. Nice. We would have had to. Well, I think it is. I don't know. I had to grab it right off, throw it in a box, and run over here. Do you have a question about steak? That's all they want to talk about is steak. We really want to talk about steak. That's how you might be burnt on the. I'm a vegan. Found the vegan. All right. So I'll cater my question to vegans. So um, I just wanted to know, like, some shows get really popular and they have this incredible following, like Supernatural, um, Doctor Who, Sherlock, this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just want to know what like characteristics you think embody that those shows. Like, what makes a show a cult show? And hmm. yeah. Yeah. That is a fantastic question. Thank you so much for asking. That is the title of our panel, Psychology of Cult TV Shows. I think what makes a show a a cult show and why it creates such a following, I think, is when it embodies the truth. When when we can see ourselves in the characters. When the characters are not flat characters, but rather round characters, which means that they are complicated. Um, The characters that um, can mirror some of the things that we're going through in real life, whether it's psychologically or politically, for example. Yeah, the shows that overall, it's not just truth, but truth about human nature. The shows overall are about character. Law and Order is not about character. I love Law and Order. You always use this one as the example. You do. Yeah, we love Law and Order. It's standalone. But but it is not about character, and you don't have that kind of cult following. And I often point out that that cult, the same as in culture, is like these are are characters that, that... that touch us and we connect with others through them. We have a shared experience caring about what happens to them. And it's still driving me crazy wondering what's going on with the uh, cloak and dagger tonight, but I haven't seen it yet. Don't look at Twitter. Yeah. But I, I also think he wears a cloak. It, it, it helps it. <laughs> I, I do think in recent years, while we see so much of this stuff, it's helped by public awareness and discussion. The internet does play a role and is connecting with each other more immediately on these things. Greg, I kind of have a follow-up question based on that. When you were writing Gargoyles, did you know that it would play such an instrumental part in all of our in all of our lives? I'll say it. Yes, yeah. said it. <laughs> I was one of them. There you go. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but I did know even at the time that it was. Uh, at least for me, uh, as a work experience, it was something special. It was the first show that I produced, and yet I also thought um, there isn't likely to be anything 
like this again. Um, the, and I've done a lot of great shows, uh, Young Justice, Justice and others uh, that I'm really proud of and everything, but there was something about Gargoyles, there was something unique about that property, about the way we were um, accidentally left alone at Disney because they weren't there had all these all this stuff going on at the studio, so no one was paying attention to what we were doing. Um, that was unique. Um, that allowed us to do pretty much exactly what we wanted to do with almost no interference whatsoever. Um, and so we did those 65 episodes, and it was a pretty amazing cast and, and crew and experience and so even at the time I knew that it was a unique thing but you know it's been 24 years and we're still talking about it and I yes. couldn't have predicted that um, at all. Right. Wow. Yes, hello. My hello. question is for Ruth and Rachel. I understand that the parts you played as characters in Supernatural were essentially dark uh, creatures, I guess. So my question for you was, did that create any tension within yourself after you got off set, like going home? No, it's like the biggest release you could ever possibly have. <laughs> it's like my therapy to do it. Absolutely, I love it. And uh, my, I think the trick with Rowena, if there's such, a, uh, that's a cheap word. Uh, it's not a trick, but for me, it was to find, it's to find the, the things that she rel, it's, it's a relishment in the darkness or the sadness or the despair or the the the, the revenge, it's the, the, the enjoyment <laughs> of the darker side of things. Uh, so it's really fun, <laughs> and I. Uh, yeah, it's been empowering for me to play her. I, I've, as Rowena, I've never said the word sorry. I tried to, it didn't come out. <laughs> uh, that's ter that's uh, that's an incredible incredible thing to, to have um, to have experienced as a as a human uh, playing a witch. Uh, no, it's so, and it's such a fun set <laughs> and such a great crew and everything. It's it's. I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm coming alive just talking about it. So sorry, no, it's not. It's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> don't apologize ever for being you. Um, don't say you're sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's an interesting thing too because there are certain things that maybe are very unhealthy in our current human existence, mm. especially as women. We do kind of apologize for ourselves a lot and worry about our behavior a lot. And uh, there's a constant kind of thread of anxiety that I carry around. I'm trying to heal and get over, but that's been consistent through my life. And certainly I saw it in my parents as well, and, which is they care a lot, but they also were always worried about the effects they were creating in the world. And so there's something very healthy and empowering about being a character that has, one, has a vast perspective with both of our characters. They've lived a heck of a lot of life. So therefore, all these small things that we often think are very significant and, and important, just don't tangle them up, which I think is a really healthy thing for all of us to kind of take away. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's potentially a, jo a genre uh, point yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, you're not absolutely. so. Yeah, it's not about the mundane, so you're not so tied up with all. Absolutely, whether it's Doctor Who, whether it's Supernatural, it's just to have that pers that scope 
and that perspective of time I think is really important. I also think there is something I don't, I don't think you should run around murdering people. Um, I think that's probably not a healthy manifestation of what I'm talking about. But I think there is something healthy about not being so afraid all the time about the effects we're going to create. Um, and I love that about Meg. I love that about Rowena. I think they were both really uh, strong characters because at their core, they were kind of unshakable because they weren't constantly thrown into this state of fear. So. Just as a panel uh, a couple weeks ago at a convention with Marina Sirtis, who nice. played the role. I was, I was going to name drop her a minute ago. You stole my name drop. <laughs> uh, you know, Marina played the nicest person in the Alpha Quadrant on Star Trek, uh, and then came to our show and got to play our big villain. And um, I don't think there's much doubt which... Well, first off, which one is more like Marina? <laughs> know her. And second of all, which she had more fun playing. There was a lot of, you know, she had a really good time playing uh, that level of uh, complication, self-activation. <laughs> nice. Nice. And, and just to be clear, I think we can walk away from this and not go, oh, it's really healthy to be evil. Um, but to say, hey, we can learn something from that of just being comfortable being ourselves and being strong in that and not apologizing. But still, we can do it very actively trying to do good in the world, which is what I try to do, maybe. <laughs> so I do have some bad news. Oh. I did just get the signal to wrap up, oh. but I have some good news. We're happy to answer your questions after the panel, and I can't think of a better way to end the panel than by saying, trying to do good in the world. If our wonderful audience wants to find you guys on social media, where can they find you? Uh, well, RandomX is randomx.org, and me is Rachel Minor one I think at Rachel Minor one on Twitter. I'm something like Ruthie underscore Connell or Ruthie Connell or actress Ruth Connell. Or Just add all of those and you're fine. Ruthie Connell. Look the blue checks. No, I don't have one on Instagram. You have one on Twitter. I have one on Twitter. Can, can we, is somebody from Instagram? Did they remove them from Instagram? Because, <laughs> yeah, there's like a whole bunch of Ruthies on Instagram. and I, I know. I've not. tried to tell Instagram and I've done something to somebody on Instagram. They won't give me a blue check. <laughs> Twitter, find the check mark there, and then use oh, that to go yeah. to the. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Best stands in the world. Am I so right? Good. So good. I'm at Shadow Quill on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> at Greg underscore Weissman on Twitter, and I also have a website called AskGregWeissman.com where I've been answering questions originally about gargoyles, nowadays mostly Young Justice, uh, where my answer is usually no spoilers. Uh, but I've been, I'm about a year behind answering questions, but I do get to them all eventually. And there's a 20-year archive of answers that's searchable at that site. So AskGregWeissman.com. On Twitter... <laughs> On Twitter, I am... <laughs> Oh my God. That's good. <laughs>
some pulled out, and I thought, okay. <laughs> On Twitter, I am at superheroologist, uh, the third most followed psychologist on Twitter. <laughs> And I'm on six panels at this convention. Yes. Four of them are tomorrow, including two back-to-back Star Wars panels. <laughs> um, on Twitter and Instagram, I am at KitMoxie, K-I-T-M-O-X-I-E. My Twitter is boring and angry. My Instagram, <laughs> but my, and my Instagram is basically just like playbills and fountain pens, and it's, it's very nerdy. So it sort of runs the gamut from boring to nerdy, but please check me out. <laughs> it's, always, it's quite the Venn diagram there. You yeah. just Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am uh, at D and that's on Twitter and, and Instagram. And I will be visiting your site to ask you questions about gargoyles. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. If you like what you heard on this podcast, please subscribe on either iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever other sites you might be listening on. Take care, everybody.